Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Well, good evening, Reach Church. I'm so glad to be here, man. You guys look so great. But before I ask you to be seated, um, I just want to thank you uh, on behalf of myself and really any, any person that considers itself church home is uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your commitment. And uh, it's just a great year. And, and I'm the type of person that once something is done, I'm over it. On to the next thing. And so we'll miss Christmas, but I'll see you next year. On to the next one. And uh, so excited for 2024. Still got this service and then our Sunday service. You guys are all welcome to come. Invite your friends, your family. Uh, but thank you. Love you guys. Please be seated. I'm going to start off with reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 through 27. It says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And here, here's this, key words. And do not give the devil an opportunity. In other translations, it says, Do not give the devil a foothold. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, Another reason I wrote you as to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. It is no exaggeration to say that most of the ground that Satan gains in our lives is due to unforgiveness. We'd be ignorant of his scheme to move in an unforgiving attitude. And this destroys relationships right here. It's being unforgiving. And you, you know, according to the scriptures, you can evict every demonic trespassing by forgiving. Unforgiveness throws the welcome mat. It, it, it throws a welcome mat into your home and, say, and it invites the evil adversaries in. It says, I'm open to be attacked. And where you have unresolved bitterness and, and an unforgiving spirit, you're given a place to the devil. I hope you see already the dangers of having an unforgiving attitude. What, what unforgiveness does is it makes you a prisoner of your past. It gives you this disease of bitterness. It opens up the door for Satan. And guess what? It alienates you from the full, rich fellowship that God desires to have with you. There is plenty of good reason to forgive. To forgive is to turn the key, to open the door, and to let the prisoner out. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, says debt free or nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and says not guilty. To forgive is to bundle up all the garbage and dispose of it, leaving the house clean and fresh, better than it was before. Forgiveness is waving the white flag and taking the first step in offering peace. This matter of forgiveness is very, very important. This matter of unforgiveness is very, very detrimental. It is right at the crux, right in the middle of our spiritual health. With unforgiveness comes bitterness. Bitterness is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Bitterness comes from our unwillingness to sin. But so many of us deal with bitterness, and, and, and we live with it, and we, we accommodate it as normal. 
So many of us are contaminated because of bitterness. So much potential. God wants to use you in so many ways and heal you and touch you and, and do many great things in your life, but you're contaminated because you've allowed your past to bleed into, into your present and it polluted your future. You know, it's not easy as believers. It's not easy keeping the things from the outside from affecting the person on the inside. It's, it's almost inevitable that the things on the outside begin to seep in to who we are on the inside. Periodically, what, we, what happens is we hit tough places and they test us. Things no longer look like they used to. They interfere with our comfortability. So now we have to be careful because bitterness creeps in. And when it's in, we have to be careful because sometimes people take it as an indication that your life is over. That that relationship is over. That that was a waste of time. It was a waste of energy. What happens when the people that you look up to the most let you down? Because people may not meet your expectation. You never communicated the expectation. You set false expectations. You have a too high of a standard for other people that you'll never meet yourself. And so we're disappointed. We're disillusioned. And now we're angry and bitter with somebody that has no idea how we feel. What happens because something unfortunate, shameful, disgraceful, just pure evil has happened to you in your past. This does not mean that your life is over. Because guess what? We still have to move forward. I know what it looks like to lose. To the world, growing up, I was an underdog. To Christ, I was more than a conqueror. But, but I, know, I know what a series of losses look like. I know how it affects us. It affects how you feel about yourself. It affects how, it affects how you see life. And it affects about how you go about the future. A personal testimony, me and my wife have been married for 11 years. I got, married when I, was, uh, I got married when I was 20 years old. We've been married for uh, 11 years, and I'll be honest, the first five years were terrible. We were in a terrible condition. Everything that we did from the moment that I met her when I was 15 to the time we got married when I was 20, all of the triggers, all of the things that happened to me as a kid, just two people that loved each other but didn't know how to love. And I, I thank God every day she stuck it out with me. But the first five years of our marriage, terrible. They were rough. Yeah, we had good moments. Yeah, things were great. But because of those first five years, the next six years was going to take time to heal. And it was going to take time to put in work. And it was going to take time to be consistent and show I'm no longer who that, who that person is anymore. And she's no longer who that person is anymore. But you want to know what a hindrance was in the healing process? The first five years are gone. Now it's time to heal. We have the counseling. We have all the right people in our corner. We finally opened up to accountability. We finally let people in to understand, to let them know we're not doing good. We're not doing okay. There was a hindrance in the healing process. And you know what that hindrance was? It was this excuse that we held over each other's heads. That excuse was, I'm like this now because of you. Did you know that bitter people will blame you for their problems? When life doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you look for something to blame. It's your fault that I'm in this condition. It's your fault that I talk, that I walk, that I act, that I treat others this way. Every single person in this place will come into a position where we must forgive. Unforgiveness produces bitterness, and bitterness can directly be traced to the failure 
of not forgiving. You know what all of this does? It makes us caustic. It makes us cynical. It makes us, it makes us um, sarcastic, condemning, and nasty. And some of you may be harassed every single day by the memories of what you cannot forgive. Your thoughts become malignant toward others, and your whole view of life has become distorted. Do you see the dangers of unforgiveness and bitterness? Bitterness is not just a sin. It is an infectious disease that will affect your whole life. Anger begins to raise in you. It just, it's in there. And, and, it's, and it's really hard to get control of. Your emotions begin to run wild. You entertain continuing thoughts of revenge. Anybody else? You entertain these thoughts. And what happens? Absolutely nothing. They live rent-free in your head. That situation, that circumstance, it's stuck there in the bottom of your core because you haven't forgiven What unforgiveness and bitterness does, it even turns casual conversations into slander against the, the offender. You just, you'd be talking about Disneyland. Whatever. You'd be talking about the next, you know, whatever's going on, and just randomly start venting about the person, the offender, because your flesh and that horrible remnant of your old self gains control. You know what destroys us? destroys us as people, as believers, is this settled position that we have put ourselves in and we said we are not going to forgive. And we have no intention to forgive. And we intend to cherish the grudge and fondle the wrong that somebody did to us and feel the bitterness. To some it feels good. To others it eats you up inside. It kills you. Some of you like to go to bed with it, and some of you cry yourself to sleep because you were legitimately wrong. Something happened to you. If we think that we can be indwelt by the Spirit of Christ and not make war against that attitude, you are delusional. And you are living a hypocritical lifestyle that may hinder your eternity. This is how serious unforgiveness and bitterness is. We desperately need deliverance from unforgiveness. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, he says, If you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This verse is as, is as intimidating as it sounds. Because Jesus means what he says and says what he means. So, in other words, if I am not right with you, then I'm not right with God. If I'm not right with my wife, then I'm not right with God. Forgiveness has no bounds on relationship. It's not saying just the person closest to you or the person that cut you off in Starbucks line. It's, it goes for everybody. Why would I sentence myself to not be right with God? There is no virtue in cutting off the purity and the joy of my fellowship with my creator. So today, as I share this message, it's a little bit of an orthodox approach. And the reason why I say that is because I'm not going to give you steps on how to forgive. This message is not how to forgive. This message is why we should forgive. 
because I've been through the process. I've been through the steps. I know why and I know how I should forgive. Because I'm a human being and because I'm conflicted inside and because there's a, way, there's a war of my spirit and my flesh, that is not good enough to help me fight. But you know what is? Why I should forgive. That very reason alone will encourage me and help me to forgive those that trespass against me. So Father, I thank you, God, for this time. I pray, Lord, for every single person in this place. I pray even now that your Holy Spirit will begin to move, begin to tap on the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray deliverance in this place. I pray deliverance in our marriages, deliverance in our relationships, old circumstances, things and situations that affect us. I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that they would be released to you, that they would be laid at this altar today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen and amen. Amen. Oh, I look that way. That's crazy. Thank you. Got me. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, before I go further, I want to honor Pastor Omar, Sister Letty. Thank you guys for an amazing year. Come on. Give it up for your pastors. Jeez. Your consistency every single year is just amazing. It doesn't get old. I, I love it, and I'm just thankful to uh, serve in this house. Church, do you guys appreciate your pastors? Let them know. Thank you. Amen. The rest of our pastoral team, my wife, thank you. Uh, we've had a hectic week, obviously. It's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy uh, with, you know, the holidays and uh, just work. Uh, so getting this message together was actually very peaceful for me. It uh, wasn't a burden or anything. I actually enjoyed to get this message during the holidays, so I hope you are blessed by it. I want to look at a man, uh, and stick with me. You know, I got 26 minutes. It's going to make sense at the end, okay? Uh, is There's a man by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was in, is, is in the Bible. He's one of the kings of Judah. The father of Manasseh was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was known as the greatest king that Israel or Judah ever had. He was a great king. He led them to revival. He tore down old gods and all of the idols that they were serving. What he did was he brought the people back to God. He was an amazing king. There came a time in Hezekiah's life to where it was time for him to die. And he knew this. And so what he did was he begged God. He said, God, not yet. I don't want to die yet. So God spared him for another 15 years. In that 15-year span, Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh. Manasseh became king at 12 years old. You go from the greatest king that Israel and Judah ever had for so long to the worst king that Judah has ever had. The Bible goes on to explain how evil and nasty and immoral Manasseh was. I mean, this Hezekiah, an honorable man. He served the Lord. He served the people. He led revival. Amazing. Then he had a son. And his son completely outdid everything his father. He, I'm sorry, he undid everything that his father accomplished. We're going to read. Uh, we're going to read Second Kings chapter 21, uh, 12 verses. It says this. It says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he and he reigned in Jerusalem 55, 55 years. His mother' name was Hephzibah. He did evil. In the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of nations, the Lord have driven out before the Israelites. 
He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as King Ahab um, of Israel had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord in which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name on. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple, of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not make the feet of Israel's, uh, Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors. If only they would be careful to do everything I had commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray. So they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What Manasseh did was he built, he rebuilt high places with Hezekiah, his, that is, his father had destroyed. All the idols, all of the statues, everything that his father destroyed, he rebuilt. Manasseh opposed the reforms of his father Hezekiah's, and he brought Judah back into idolatry. You know what this shows me right here? What this shows me is that repentance, reform, and revival are not permanent standing conditions. What is accomplished at one time can be turned over by somebody else's disobedience. You like what God is doing in this place? Guess what? You have an obligation to stick to the word, to love the Lord, to come to be faithful and put him first. This is how we all pitch in. We have to be careful and be good stewards of what God is doing. All the idols that Israel, that the Israelites had, anything that you put before God is an idol. We give it a name. We call, we call them idols, covetousness, idolatry. He hates that more than any other sin. The moment you put anything before God, he hates it. Paul in Corinthians, he's explaining to them. What a true believer is, is when somebody forsakes all of the other idols, everything they put before God, and they serve the one true God. That's what he explains believers to be. Are you, are you, are you guilty of idolatry? Are you guilty of, of, of coveting, of greed? What is your idol? What is it that you put before God? Because acknowledging him isn't good enough. Filling up a chair and singing the songs is not good enough. There are things in our lives that we put before God. And, and, and it may be cliche, and it may just, just slide off your back, but I, I've been in this place before to where I will forsake the Word of God. I will, I will forsake the time that I spend with Him just to feel comfortable, watch TV, and forget everything else that's happening in the world. It's easy for me to completely just unwind and relax with the wrong things after a long, hard day. All the kids are asleep. My wife's asleep. I'm a night owl, so I stay up late. It's easy for me just to sit down, turn on the TV, and just completely forget about all of, all of my priorities. This, th these things that we do, little subtle things that we do, we put before God, and they're idols. 
Not only that, but things that we, things that we fill ourselves with other than God. I know it's the world, it's, right, it's, it's, it's drugs, it's drinks, it's money, it's relationships. This is what the world fills themselves with to completely just fill a void that will never be filled that only God can fulfill. Another thing Manasseh did was he was very immoral. The people that, that, that he led, immorality. He built altars to Asherah and to Baal. The word of God goes on to explain that there were temple priests and priests, and there were, there were people that were prostituting themselves in the temple. And he allowed this. Manasseh had religion just like we do. You know that the devil has religion? You know who else had religion? Was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, was a Pharisee. He was a Sadducee. And, and he was a religious leader. And he's talking with Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, you got all of that stuff. You know what you need? You need to be born again. You're religious leaders, but that's not good enough. You go to the temple, but that's not good enough. We need the new birth that only the Holy Spirit can give us. That when he resides in us, we are new. We are created again. We are white as snow. Perfectly being able to be presented to the Father. We need a change in a direction of our life. And our spirits and our relationship to God. This is what we need. Religion doesn't offer you that. A relationship with Jesus, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit helps us with that. James chapter 1 verse 26 through 27 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure in faithfulness is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from allowing the things on the outside to affect the person that's on the inside. You know, Manasseh made Israel worship idols. Not only did he make it easy, but he made them do it. Manasseh did not only bring back old forms of idolatry, he also brought in new forms of idolatry. At this time, it was a Babylon, Babylonian empire. They were rising in influence, and what they were starting to do was they had a special attraction to um, astrological worship. They worshiped the stars. They loved the stars. This is why it bothers me when believers claim their their astrological sign or whatever that is. It, like, it's funny, yeah, but do you not read in the Word of God how the worship of the stars is detestable to him? And this is where you get it. I, I don't care how true it is. I don't care how much of a line it falls into your personality. It is demonic. So you, what is your sign? Oh, I'm a Gemini or I'm a Pisces. I mean, a Pisces. I'm a Capricorn. No, you're a fool. You, you, are, you are a fool. This is condemned by God. And it is a tragedy when people worship creation more than the creator. Isaiah wrote that a man by nature makes a God and he worships it. Man has to worship something. We were created to worship something. And if you reject the truth of God, it will, you will make a God of your own. Another thing Manasseh did was Manasseh was a murderer. The Bible says that he filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood. From the east to the west, he filled it with blood, innocent blood. He made his own son pass through the fire. He sacrificed his own son to, to the God of Moloch. You know what else he did? 
You know the prophet Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament? Manasseh was responsible for his death. History tells us that Manasseh tied, tied Isaiah to a tree and cut him in half. We may not be capable or put in a position to do what Manasseh has done, but a lot of us have the same heart that he has. He was a traitor. He defied God. You know, Judas betrayed Jesus with the kiss. And the Bible says, it had better that that man had never been born. We, we betray God with more than just a kiss. We betray God with more than just these idols that we, that we put in front of him. We all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all under God's judgment. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point, he is guilty of breaking all of it. The prophet Jeremiah says, uh, he repeats God and says, I the Lord search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Psalms chapter 44 verse 21 says, God would surely have known it for he knows the secrets of every heart. You cannot hide anything from God. He already knows it. God warned Manasseh just like John the Baptist had warned the people. He tells them, he says, you generation, you brought of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. In Numbers, Moses told the Israelites, he says, but, ye, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord your God, and be sure your sin will find you out. Every single one of us, our sin would find us out. Someday, somewhere, sometime, at some point. Every sin we've ever committed will find us out. We cannot commit a sin and get away with it. Not one sin. You're going to one day pay for your sin unless the Bible is not true. Or someone will pay that sin for you. Thank God for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all been done for you. Right there, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that sin, that punishment, that war that is waged against you, the wrath of God has been appeased by the salvation of Jesus Christ. So Manasseh indeed was a wicked king. He was evil. He was nasty. But I look at what was an even greater sin other than Manasseh. What was a greater sin was on the part of the people who accepted this seduction willingly. They, yeah, he's king and put in a position. But it is not. But is it not your decision to who, on who you follow? Second Chronicles chapter thirty-three verse ten says, "And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen." God, God spoke to both the people and the leader, but they rejected His word. It's one thing for the leader to reject it; it's another for the follower to reject it. This is why the condition of the American church scares me, because they will do anything that the preacher says. They will give whatever amount the preacher says. They will do whatever the preacher says. They will continue to go to church. I can sit here for 10 minutes on a pulpit and express how much God loves the devil. And people will probably eat it up. Oh yeah, that's good. Because pe pe people listen to what they want to hear. They listen to whatever's easy. They listen to whatever feels good. This is why you go, you know, someone's preaching the gospel online and sharing just perfect gospel message. He loves you. He died for you. And there'll be somebody in the comments that completely turns it around. 
Well, God loves everybody. Absolutely. But the sin is condemnable without the blood of the Savior. And the world doesn't understand that. And preachers don't preach that. It's all good. Do whatever you want to do. Love whoever you want to love. Get married to whoever you want to get married to. This is what the world, this is what the world does. Because if the people would not listen to the warnings of God, the Lord allowed the Babylonians to bind King Manasseh and take him into captive into uh, Babylon. God said, I'm going to bring such evil amongst Israel and Judah that whoever hears it, both of their ears would tingle. So what happens? Judgment fell in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 33, uh, what is described as a remarkable repentance on the part of Manasseh. Manasseh is taken into captivity. He's put in a dungeon, a cold, damp dungeon. And what happens is it says, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. God answered this man's prayer. God forgave him. Not only did God forgive him, but God restored him into his place of power again and made him king. Manasseh proved that his repentance was genuine by taking away all the idols, all the foreign gods from Jerusalem, and he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. This here, I want to encourage some of you guys. This here is a perfect example of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Manasseh was raised by a godly father, yet he lived in defiance of a father's face for most of his life. Nevertheless, at the end of his days, he truly repented and served God. In this way, we can say that it is very true that Manasseh rested with his fathers. Your son, your daughter, whoever, your son and your daughter may be living in rebellion now. But if you raise them up in the ways of the Lord, he is faithful. Continue to pray for them. Continue to press in and see that God will do with the work in their life. They are not too far gone. Their life is not wasted. Continue to pray and we'll see them in church. Does Manasseh deserve forgiveness? He killed his son. He turned a whole people against the very God that delivered him time and time again. He killed innocent people. He made blood run up and down Jerusalem. He killed a great prophet. You touch my pastor, it's going to be real hard for me to forgive you. <laughs> After you get a beat down. <laughs> he was in trouble, in prison. And guess what? He turned to God, which he should have done years ago. He could have led Israel to a revival of multitudes, piggybacked off the work of his father. People would have never thought about what they were doing wrong. They would have continued to serve God. Maybe God has allowed troubles in your life to draw you closer to him. Manasseh says, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. God is gracious and merciful and he will not turn his face from you if you turn to him. Gracious and merciful to all those who call upon his name. Turn to Christ and he will forgive you. 
God's forgiveness goes a lot further than yours and mine because of justification. Just as though you have never done it. You were placed in the sight of God as though you have never committed a single sin. In scripture, it says that God can't even remember. God forgave Manasseh. He restored him as king, put him back on the throne. He redeemed him. His prosperity was renewed. His heart was renewed. The course of his life was changed, and he knew that the Lord was God. If God will do that for Manasseh, an evil, vile, wicked sinner, I believe God can do that for every single one of you. None of us deserve it. None of us are entitled to it. But it was given to you freely. Another person that I want to look at. I heard this message when I was younger. And I was dealing with unforgiveness. I was angry. I was a teenager. I was really, really angry. And all of that anger, it came from unforgiveness and bitterness and not knowing and being confused and doubtful about why me? the underdog and I heard this message and it really opened up my eyes to the forgiveness of a father I'm not going to mention the preacher that wrote it because he's all woke now it's crazy how much time 10 years people do crazy things Um, I want to read Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 it says this it says if I can have the worship team it says the Lord said to me Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the the sacred raising cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a leketh of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come to trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. He says, go again, Hosea. Not only did he have to do this once, but he has to do it again. His wife is a prostitute. He says, go again. Just like the love of the Lord. It says that these people, they turn to other gods and they love this, they love the sacred raising cakes. They loved other idols. They loved other things. They put everything else in front of God. This is what they did. He says, go again. Go find her. Go find your wife who is being loved by another man. She's an adulteress. How hard would it be to go look for her? Your wife who was once a prostitute now in back to prostitution. Hosea was an honorable man. What made her go back? What made her betray her husband? What made her betray her own children? What made her betray her own marriage? We do this 
to an honorable groom too. Where, where do you go looking for her? How heavy are the steps? How heavy are the feet of a man that has to go to the nastiest parts of the city to look for your wife? Already knowing what she's doing. He's not looking for a friend. He's not looking for a sibling. He's looking for his wife. So it says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lecketh of barley. How in the world do you pay for something that was already yours? His wife is back into prostitution. He goes to look for her. What does he see? Does he see his wife chained up? Does he see his wife on the corner being pimped out? Does he see her shackled and sold to the highest bidder? This is Hosea's wife, the mother of his three children. What does he look at her? What does he look at the man or look at whoever's in charge and say, that's my wife? I can imagine what that, I don't care who you think she is. This is her price. You want her? You can have her and do whatever you want with her. But this is her price. He pays for what already belonged to him. Hosea is a picture of God. And whether you like it or not, we are a picture of Gomer. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. Listen, because of sin... God paid a price to purchase back what he already owned. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And, and it was through Jesus. Jesus was always there with God. That when he created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. And because sin entered the world, and because you and I are not so nice, because you and I were found and, and have been in the nastiest places possible, he had to send his son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a child, to live a life, to hurt how we, how we hurt, to feel, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to hang on a cross, to be sacrificed for you and I. The word of God says that at any moment, he could have called 12,000 angels to come and save him. But he didn't. Because he wanted to fulfill the purpose of a father, the will of his father, that you and I, the gomers of this world, need a savior to purchase back what was already his. So Hosea exchanges and he looks at his wife, a wife who abandoned him, and yet. The husband still chasing after her. How much? Other men wanted to use her, to abuse her, to do whatever they wanted with her. But Hosea wanted to buy her, to restore her, to heal her, to comfort her, to protect her. Now in verse 4, Hosea is speaking prophetically. After he gets his instruction to do what God has told him to do, he's speaking prophetically. And it says, afterward... The Israelites will return to seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord 
into his blessings in the last days. Hosea doesn't know this, but this is he speaking 750 years later. Under the old system of the law, Israel knew what it was like to fear God. They lived in terror of God's wrath because they were unable to keep the commandments for themselves. It was rough. They knew that there would come a day, and he prophesied that there will come a day where Messiah, and he will finally satisfy the wrath of God. The fear of the Lord in those days, they will be on of his goodness. And the, under the old law, they feared God. They, they were in terror of him because they knew the wrath of those who couldn't keep the commandment. But today... We have to, this, this, this fear is not of terror of God. This fear comes in awe of his goodness. Is the fact that Jesus has come. That we no longer have to be afraid and live in terror. Work out your salvation in trembling fear. Absolutely. But in those days, the Messiah would come and he would appease the wrath of a father. That when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we are saved. Salvation has come. If he found you, we must be thankful. He had to walk to the most despicable places to find me. He had to communicate and, and, and be around a broken, sinful humanity. As Hosea has searched for his wife, Jesus keeps searching for the salvation of humanity. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of God's forgiveness. When God found you and I, we were not so neat or put together. We were bound in chains. We were naked. But God was so gracious that he came searching for us. God's plan to forgive mankind of their sins is the major theme of the Bible. So when wondering why we should forgive those who sin against us, we need to look no further than the example God gave us. If you've ever been deeply wounded or wronged by somebody, the Lord knows how you feel all too well. Many times in the Bible, people said and did awful things to Jesus, yet he remained walking the Holy Spirit and refused to allow himself to become hardened. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 to 32 it says and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you in Colossians it says bear with each other and forgive one another and any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we choose to forgive, it's not the same as choosing to condone or excuse what happened. I'm not giving somebody a free hall pass to say, okay, you know what, you did it. It's okay if you do it again. It's okay to have boundaries. And what's happened with this, our self-righteousness is because we... It's okay to put up boundaries. We use that as an excuse to not forgive people or use it as a self-righteous excuse to forgive people. 
but we can't really hide for God and we can't really we can't really release ourselves from the pain of that unforgiveness unless we truly truly forgive we have to choose to release the resentment, the hurt, and allow God to heal us of any damage that was caused. Any damage that was caused by someone else, a situation, or even damage that we perpetrate on ourselves. Bottling up those feelings of pain, anger, and malice, it only eats away at our mental and our spiritual and even our physical. Lack of forgiveness quite literally will poison your heart and your mind. Whenever someone says or does something that wrongs us, it's easier in the long run to do ourselves a favor and forgive as quickly as possible. Forgive faster than they can apologize. Forgive just as he forgave you. He loves you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you his peace, his joy. Forgive that situation. Forgive that person. Even if your feelings and your emotions don't align with your decision, ask God for his help and keep forgiving until they do. He will give you the grace to forgive. When you simply take the first act of obedience, forgiveness brings freedom. I don't need everything to line up perfectly in order for me to give. I don't for, to forgive. I don't need the situation to be perfect. I don't need to muster up some type of courage. My forgiveness is not contingent on what the other person does. My forgiveness is, is basically contingent on being obedient to God. This is why we forgive. No other reason, whether it was justified or not, whether it kills you on the inside, whether it just bothers you and you lose about a minute of sleep over it. Forgiveness for a believer is not an option. And if you're in this place and maybe you're not serving God and maybe you haven't made him savior in your life, this still applies to you. I pray one day you find Jesus as your Lord and Savior and give him everything. You rebuke every idol in your life and you put him first, Christ as King. But in the process of that, I pray you find the strength to forgive those that hurt you. And you can, you can feel like you're doing everything right. Read all the books, how to forgive. But when it's something that is truly, truly getting you up inside, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength and the grace to forgive just as we have been forgiven of all of our debts, all of our sins, all of our trespasses against somebody who can rightfully hold that over our head. Forgiveness is mandatory for all of those who have experienced the forgiveness of God. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. Reminding us that God holds us accountable for paying forward what he has done for us. Refusing to forgive those who wronged us is an insult to the Lord who has forgiven us for much more. We forgive as an act of gratitude for we all have been forgiven. I'm ending right here. Those who have been forgiven by God are transformed into forgiving people. So when it says that you forgive others unless your father uh, or your father in heaven won't forgive you we don't earn our salvation by forgiving we don't earn our salvation by fighting off lust by fighting off all of the things that, that try to hold us down we can't earn our salvation but as we are saved it is easier to fight those battles we have to learn how to forgive 
We have to learn to give up those debts that people owe us. That apology that you've been waiting for, that closure that you've been waiting for, you have to let it go. Here's something else for you. You have to learn how to forgive yourself. It says that Manasseh was restored as king. If it was me, I'm going to sit this one out, Lord. I've done too much damage. Give it to somebody else. I don't want it. God restored him. With God's forgiveness comes restoration. We have to learn how to walk in that as much as we have to learn how to forgive others. So if a person who claims to be a Christian refuses to extend forgiveness to others, that person is showing evidence that he or she may not truly be born again. We forgive because it is our new nature to forgive just as Jesus had forgiven us. You can close your eyes and bow your head. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.